Good morning, church. I am so happy to see you this morning. Uh, actually, uh, yeah, no, this is this is just my axe, no worries. I just brought it along for the ride uh, today. Last week, we had a few people fall asleep. So, <laughs> so anyway, you know, I've always said, I used to say, churches, if you're going to take a nap, no better place than church. You should have the most peaceful nap in church. Uh, but then people started to take advantage of that. So now I'm saying nap starts at 12. Uh, but anyway, I'm so glad that you're here. We're in a series. This is the final installment of this series, by the way. Uh, it's a series. Uh, it was supposed to end last week, and we pushed it back another week because there's just so much information and so good. If you're joining us for the first time, you have some catching up to do. And I can't really go through and explain it all for you, but I would really encourage you to watch the previous three weeks. Um, and even better than that, get the book that this is based off of. It's written by uh, Chip Dodd. It's called The Voice of the Heart. The Voice of the Heart, you can get that on Amazon for, I don't know, 12 or $13. It's way more in detail than you're going to get in this series, that's for sure. Uh, you get some of my take on it. I've read it multiple times. It's a brilliant book. It has helped me understand my heart, and it's going to help you understand your heart. So please, please get that book. Uh, obviously, I believe that the Bible is the most important book, and everything we do revolves around that. But this is from Chip Dodd, a Christian psychologist. Scripture is very much interwoven in it, and I just can't recommend it enough, quite honestly. If you feel disconnected from your heart, if you feel disconnected or out of control with your emotions, this is the place in the, the book that you want to get. In addition to that, um, I want to let you know that I did address two weeks ago mental illness. So if you're joining us for the first time, maybe you're watching online and you struggle with mental illness, you have a condition that has been diagnosed by a doctor. I do believe in a God that can heal all of our physical conditions. Can I get an amen from the church? However, I will say that there are different dynamics that come into play with mental illness, and I don't want to minimize that. Uh, there's very real physiology, as Carrie was just saying. We live in a broken world, and there are things that we struggle with and deal with that God never intended for us to deal with. Um, but because we are, uh, we have to take that into consideration. So if you struggle with mental illness, please don't allow this sermon to make you feel less valuable. Or like your condition is beyond help, okay? Can we just agree with that? I, I just don't want this to be a trigger for your unique situation. I would love, uh, if that's you, I would love for you to take me out to coffee and pay for dinner, whatever. And we can, we can talk about your unique situation. We're all about helping people. If you're female, my wife will take you out and you can pay for her. Um, Anyway, I just, I didn't want to gloss over mental illness because it's really an important issue close to my heart, okay? Uh, but today, we are going to continue on. I'm going to wrap up this series. Now, if you did not get your notes when you walked in, this is not the day to not have your notes. I'm just letting you know. We provided notes. I spent $13 at Office Depot yesterday to print those out because uh, we were out of ink here in the main office. But this is going to be your cheat sheet for understanding your heart. This is, this is the, the grand crescendo where it all comes together. So if you need notes, go ahead and raise your hand right now. If you need the notes that we're providing, go lift them high. Don't be shy. Uh, it doesn't mean you weren't paying attention. It just means you've decided to be studious at this point and you want to take notes. Good. Thank you. Anyone else? doesn't have notes right now. That's what I want to know. Who thinks the notes aren't important? <clears throat> Stefan's raising his hand. He would like some notes. <laughs> Why don't you stand to your feet in honor of the reading of God's word today? I chose this block of text because in it, it is just rich with Emotion, it is rich with heart and feelings. And it just lets us know that one of the eight core values, anger, isn't bad. Anger is not bad. It says, be angry 
and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve, do not make sad the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Father, we come before you today. I thank you. God, I just thank you for the opportunity to just talk about the way we were made. There's such beauty in the human heart. I understand that life would have us ignore it. Life would have us diminish the beauty that you've created within us. But God, I ask you would open our eyes. Holy Spirit, I, I invite you into this place to open our eyes, open our ears, open just an awareness, a new awareness of how you've created us, how we've been designed, and the beauty that that entails. In Jesus' name, I pray, let the church say, amen. 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 Before you sit down, high five somebody, say, I'm glad you're at church. It's going to be a great day. Invite someone to lunch. If you're watching online, I'm so glad that you're watching today. I wish I could see you face to face, uh, but thank you for joining us online. A few weeks ago, um, I, by, by the way, I, I just have a little confession. I picked this axe up backstage and I nicked the back of my neck. If you see blood dropping down my shirt, please just let me know. Stephen, grab a Band-Aid. I really don't know what I did to the back of my neck, but we'll see after service. Anyway, uh, how many remember, so you were somewhat prophetic. Thanks, Jen. Uh, <laughs> how many remember a couple of weeks ago, several weeks ago, the big ice storm. And how many of you lost trees? Anyone lost some branches, some trees? A lot of us. Wow. Yeah, we did too. I lost a big tree in the front, right in front by our front door. It, it was time. It was, I was tired of it. It was, it was bored with it. It was time to come down anyway. Um, but then there was a tree in the back by the pool that lost some branches. And, you know, it was... It was time for that one as well. It had been dropping too many acorns in the pool. Uh, so I was letting bitterness settle in. So God just took care of it, took the tree down. And my dad came over with his chainsaw, and then he came over with a bigger chainsaw, and we took down the tree, me and the boys, Jordan and Tristan, and my dad. Surprisingly, my dad did most of the work, but it, it, I, I, was a, I was a very good champion of what they're doing. Got them some cold water pulled some stuff, and um, but the trees are, are down. So my wife was, my wife and I, we love, we love for our yard to look nice, you know. In the summer, I like to sit by the pool. I like to pray by the pool, read, read by the pool. I like to sleep by the pool. And we just like the garden feel. So Carrie's always doing garden stuff and buying plants, and I, I'm always complaining about it, and why, why do you need that? But then she does it, and I love it, and then she makes me dig holes, and I hate that, but then it grows, and I love it, and it's always just this hate-love relationship going on. Well, she got a tree, a new tree. It's called a redbud tree. Yeah, a redbud tree is beautiful. It's got heart, red heart-shaped leaves, and it's just so lovely, and I, we spent some time figuring out where it was going to go, and uh, she wanted it in the front yard, and I wanted it in the backyard, and and then she wanted it in the backyard, and I wanted it in the front yard. And then she wanted it on the side of the house, and I wanted it on the other side of the house. And we finally settled on the one spot in the front yard, and it has to be in this very precise location because this is the location that has partly sun, partly shade that the tree needs. And so they start digging. I had to go to work, and so Tristan grabbed a shovel, and Carrie, and she texts me and says, hey, we're going to be digging the hole. And I'm like, great, great. 
And the spot that we put the tree is right next to the previous tree that just came down. Well, you know, uh, when you take down a big tree underneath the dirt, there are a lot of roots. Do Do you know what I mean? And so I was a little concerned about that. I didn't know what I needed to do, so I did what any human does. I said, hey, Google, can I plant a new tree where an old tree's roots are? And this is what Google said. Google said, if any of the old tree's roots are still in the ground, the newly planted young tree may not have enough room to grow. If left untouched, a tree stump and roots will start to rot and over time become home to pests, fungi, and other organisms. That is preaching right now. So we knew we had to pull up some roots. And so Trist, I get home that day, they, they say, where's the axe? And I told them where the axe was, and they got the axe. And I get home, and Tristan said, Dad, you're not going to believe it. The axe works great. And I'm like, really? So it does what it promotes that it's going to do. He's like, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't, it's not like that other thing we were using. I'm like, well, what were you using? You know that thing that's got like the sharp thing here and the flat thing here? And I said, a pickaxe? <laughs> yeah. The pickaxe doesn't work, but the axe works great. And I'm like, son, the pickaxe is meant for prying things. The axe is meant for cutting things. And I wonder how many of us are trying to get old roots out of the soil of our heart by prying it, and it's not wanting to come loose. And God is just saying, all we really got to do is just cut the root, not pry the root. You have been wrestling with roots for way too long. And I don't know what root you're wrestling with, but I brought an axe today. (laughs) I brought an axe so that you and I can take care of some business. Did you show up to church to do business this morning? Me too, but I'm going to put this down. For all our safety. Even people watching online aren't safe if this is in my hands. I I love what Carrie said earlier about the lies that we've been believing. Lies are dead roots. Dead roots. And, and the thing that God is trying to grow in your life needs, needs some room to grow. The roots need some space to expand. It needs to just take up space in the plot of land. Do you know what I mean? We got so many things hidden underneath the grass and underneath the surface. And the dead roots have to be pulled up. One of the dead roots, though, one of the lies that we believe or have believed maybe before this series is that emotions are bad and emotions aren't bad there is no bad emotion now what you do with the emotion can be classified as good or bad but there is no bad emotion we were created in the likeness and in the image of god that means every emotion that we experience and there are eight by the way we can funnel all the emotion down to eight core emotions All eight of them, though seven of them don't sound so wonderful, all eight of them are good, not because because it sounds good, but because it leads somewhere good. The emotions that you and I experience lead somewhere good. (laughs) Our emotions, it's the dashboard of our life so that we know how our heart is. My goodness, do you know how your heart is today? Just take your hand right now and just place it on your heart. I hope you know I'm not talking about the muscle that's pumping the blood, but symbolically, that's just what we're doing. Let's just check in with our heart right now. Just close your eyes. How's my heart? 
after the week I've had, the month I've had, the trauma I've had, the excitement I've had, the hopelessness I've felt, the hope that's been deferred, the hope that's been realized, how's my heart? And maybe you don't know. It's okay, you're done. You can look at me now. Maybe your heart just spoke to you immediately. Maybe you're still like, I don't even feel a beating in there. I'm so disconnected from my heart. I wonder if I'm even alive. Well, I talked last week. Now, I see the clock running down, and that's okay because you know me. The clock doesn't constrain me at all. (laughs) I'm on the bottom of page one. I've got five more pages to go. That's okay. We can do this together, all right? I'm going to move quick, but last week I spent an entire sermon on one emotion, one feeling, and that feeling was hurt, right? Hurt is one of the eight primary core feelings that you can feel. I spent the entire sermon talking about hurt. At the end of the service, I said, how many of you can relate and are hurt? And one and a half of you raised your hands. Today, Carrie says, how many of you can relate to hurt? And there's a sea of hands. (laughs) God was preparing you last week for what you were about to walk through. And so you didn't raise your hand last week, but God had already planted inside of you the seed of what you needed to get through this past week. So I'm telling you now, these next seven feelings I'm about to share, you may not be going through it today but you might be raising your hand next week. So lean in. We're going to go quick in these seven emotions. I can't spend too much time. I'll probably linger on the ones that I'm currently struggling with. You always know what a preacher is going through by how long he preaches on a certain thing. And so if I'm feeling angry, I'll stay on anger. If I'm feeling sad, I'll stay on... We'll just see where it lands today. I may keep you guessing. But last week I talked about hurt, and if you recall, I told you that every core feeling has, it's a spectrum. So on your paper, on your notes, hurt is the truth of the value. If you're feeling hurt, it can be impaired, which goes to the left. So going downhill, the impairment of hurt is resentment. Is that filled in in your notes? Yes. Yeah, resentment. But you can also take hurt and then work with that emotion and find the true gift of hurt, which the gift of hurt is healing and courage. When we work the process, we embrace the hurt, we find ourselves in a gifted state of healing and courage. So why is hurt not bad? Hurt is not bad because hurt always leads to healing. Okay, you're catching on, and this is my goal today. My goal is not to explain every feeling for you. You, For $13, you can get the book and learn everything you want to know. I just want you to to be able to identify the feeling and see where you land on that spectrum so you know which direction to go. Are we good with that? All right, so let's go to the second feeling. Lonely. Lonely. Anyone feeling lonely today? Good. Good. I mean, not, yeah, good, great, so glad. There's a few of you, I, I, can, I can relate to loneliness. I feel lonely often. I know what that feels like. I think all fours, Enneagram fours feel lonely. Uh, sometimes if we're not feeling lonely, we will intentionally create loneliness so that we can feel that <laughs> feeling for a while. So weird. We do, don't we fours? Yeah, we do, we do. God gave us loneliness so that we would seek out relationship. That's the purpose of your loneliness, by the way, because God created humans for connection. God looked at Adam and said, one is not enough. We need to create another. Adam was created wonderfully, but Adam by himself was not enough. God looked at the pair of them and said, this is Good. Loneliness will lead you into relationship. Loneliness is a feeling that speaks to our deep hunger to be known, to be seen, to 
be heard and valued. When you feel lonely, that should be an indicator to you that there's some, some direction that you need to take to be in a more growing state, a more healed state. Now, what is that healed state? Can we put that up one more time? If you look at loneliness, if you go to the right, that's the gift. What is the gift of loneliness? Intimacy. What is the impairment of loneliness? That means you're not handling that feeling well, so you develop apathy. You know what apathy is? Apathy is where you just you don't care. We, we understand that loneliness is a gift that speaks to how much is right with us, but it also speaks to how much we still need. Loneliness also points to how often we distance ourselves from other people, how often we distance ourselves from God, how often we distance ourselves from our own heart. Did you know that you can have 100 friends in the room and be so disconnected to your own heart that you just walk in and you feel lonely? It has nothing to do with your spouse, with your kids, with your employees, with your employer. You're so disconnected to yourself, how God wired you and how God made you, that there is a loneliness inside of you. And you're trying to feel it with all these people. And it just doesn't work because you're disconnected from yourself. So we start to get off track because the first thing we do when we feel lonely and we don't know what to do, we... Our body knows. We, we keep the score in our body, and we know that we need intimacy, but instead of intimacy, we run for intensity. We think that if we're busy enough, if we're important enough, if we work enough, if we make, make enough money, if we plant enough flowers, if we mow enough grass, if we rake enough leaves, if we do all of this stuff, if, if we just help the poor, if we feed the hungry, if we give a helping hand, we just go hard, live life, I'm not going to be lonely anymore. But your intensity will never satisfy your need, your God-given need for intimacy. Intensity is the attempt to gain satisfaction by strain, struggle, and effort. Some of you arguing with your spouse so much because you figure intensity in the relationship is better than nothing. And you've argued so long, you've confused intensity in the relationship for intimacy. You think that being hot-headed and griping and complaining or having this power struggle, this control struggle in your relationship, intimacy, that's not intimacy. It's intensity. And your heart is longing Longing for intimacy. And apathy is our attempt to deny the heart. Apathy is when we just don't care. We say, what's the point? Who cares? It doesn't matter. I don't care. Forget about it. You care? You should care. Intimate people care about things. It's only when we be become disconnected from our heart, from others, and from God, that we just start to not care. Lonely. Lonely. Loneliness is God's gift to you to let you know that there is intimacy missing in your life. Intimacy with yourself, intimacy with others, and intimacy with God. So, how many of you would say that possibly, based on this description, you might be lonely today? Maybe you, you notice you just don't care about life. A bit apathetic. Nah, whatever. It is what it is. That's a sign that you're lonely. The third emotion, we've hit hurt, we've hit lonely. Let's do sad, shall we? Let's go to sad. One of the eight core emotions, feelings that you can feel is sad. Now, it, the growth of sad, so the benefit of sad, the thing you, you want to head toward is what? It's on the right. It is acceptance. I hope you're writing this down because this is going to be such a great cheat sheet at home. You're going to put it on your fridge, uh, and you'll be able to identify your feelings. Uh, when you're growing through sadness, it's acceptance. Carrie mentioned a lot of sadness in our home. 
that's very true. We've had a lot of trauma uh, with our, our new baby grandson. I mean, not not trauma as much as the parents, but you know what I mean. Just like, that stinks. And then we lost a dog last week, and that stinks. So there's been a lot of, it's been sad. And that's okay. Sad is not bad. Being sad is a gift, and I'll tell you why that is. But if we handle sadness ineffectively, if we become impaired in our sadness, what's the result? Self-pity. Come on, where are all my fours at? Self-pity is the thing that we just, we don't even know we're in love with self-pity fours. We, we just are. That's just who we are, but we'll deny it. We will deny that we have pity parties. We will deny it all day long uh, because we want to be happy and make you think we've got it all together, but no. Uh, the fours in the room can throw the best pity parties I've ever seen. No one ever comes to my pity parties. Ecclesiastes 7.3 says, Sorrow is better than laughter. For by sadness of countenance, the heart is made glad. Huh. It is through sadness that we find gladness. It is through sadness that we find Acceptance. In fact, if you want to live a full life, you cannot live a full life unless you learn to feel sad. How many of you hate feeling sad? Oh, hate it. Hate it. My wife won't even let us watch a movie where a dog dies. And that was pre-Sadie's death. I mean, if any animal that's cute dies, if it's, if it's a bug, it doesn't bother her. But anything that's cute and cuddly or has eyes that are just so sweet, she can't watch it. She has to know the ending before we watch the movie because she just does not like feeling sadness. I'm fine with feeling sadness. I don't mind being sad. I kind of like it. To be honest, sometimes I just like to feel a little bit moody and sad. Uh, but my wife, Pedro's like, yeah, that's my love language, sadness. You know why sadness is important? You know why it's a gift? Sadness gives us the ability to honor that which we love. We're sad because Sadie died because we loved her. And to the degree of our love for someone or something, that's the degree of sadness you experience. Sadness is your heart just being real with you and saying, hey, you really loved hard. You love deeply. You hoped high. Sadness is a gift, and hopefully with that sadness, we can step into acceptance and be, be better for it. And, and maybe you carry a bit of sadness with you the rest of your life. We, we have losses in our congregation that I imagine the sadness never goes away. People who have lost their children, their parents, their siblings. I imagine you carry that sadness with you, but on, at some point in that phase, there's acceptance that takes place and healing that takes place. Sadness is a gift. I, I, I have heard people say, I, I wish my mom was here, because I think she's probably said this, and I would harass her, but I think they're out of town today. I've heard people say, when I die, don't you cry for me, because I'm going to be in a better place. Anyone heard that? Well, when I die, you cry. You better cry. You don't cry, Stephen. I promise you, God will allow me to travail this earth to find you. You better cry. I'm serious. I can't imagine looking down at my funeral from heaven and seeing everybody like, yeah. What the heck is that? That's why I don't have a $5 million life insurance policy. Because the tears that you cry when I die, if I die, those, those tears communicate that I was known, that I was loved, that I mattered to you. And, and while they are honoring my life with their tears, they're going to be honoring their own hearts too. Not shoving it down, apologizing for the tears. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just let them flow. On, honor the sadness. Because in honoring the sadness, you're honoring what we had. 
You're honoring the fact that I was loved by you and you, you were courageous enough to open up your heart to me. That, that's kind of a big deal. Sadness is a gift. Tears are a gift. Tears express the state of the heart and allow us to recognize that things really, really do matter. So sadness moves to acceptance or it becomes impaired and we have self-pity. Are there any fellow self-pityers in the room? I'm not always. Okay, good. Some honest folk over there. Some of you, come on. Uh, husbands, go ahead and nudge your wives right now if that's, that applies to them. No, I'm kidding. Don't. Don't do that. Whew. Self-pity is a way to avoid genuine sadness. Nothing ever goes right for me. I always try and it never works out. I try and things still turn out badly or I'm always the one who has to sacrifice. When we experience self-pity, and, and this is actually, honestly, one of my weaknesses that the Lord has tremendously grown me in. So you won't catch much self-pity from me these days. I've come a long way. But when we experience self-pity, we are unwilling to feel sadness And instead of me feeling sadness, I use self-pity to express my heart so that you feel, for me, what I'm unwilling to feel for myself. See how toxic that is? Self-pity is a way to escape sadness by trying to make other people feel sadness for us. It's a way to make you feel what I refuse to feel. It's a way to make you value me so that I don't have to value me. When I embrace sadness, I'm actually giving space to my heart. I'm valuing myself enough to know that I, I just need a break from the world. I need a break from commotion. I, just, I need to find a bed somewhere, hopefully on a rainy day, a comforter that's nice and cushy, and I just need to cry a little bit. Sadness is a gift. The next one is anger. All right, I'm talking to somebody on the front row in a hat, (laughs) blue jeans, black shoes. I'm going to keep that anonymous. (laughs) Anger is good. Can I just, I'm not going to spend too much time on this one. Um, I've been angry. I probably, you can carry multiple of these eight, by the way. I've been angry since 2020, uh, since COVID, for a number of reasons. I've, I've, been, I've been angry that I can't see my two granddaughters in Australia. I hadn't touched them. I hadn't touched their skin. I'm pretty angry about that. I'm angry that my daughter and her husband moved away. That wasn't my plan for their life. I'm angry. I'm angry at a stupid virus. I'm angry at political division. I'm angry at racial division. I'm angry at national division. I'm perpetually angry these days. But I've come to grips with the fact that anger is not bad. I'm angry how the church has changed since 2020. I'm angry at the level of commitment from church folk since 2020, to be honest. I'm angry that I have to show up every week and you don't. I mean, that's the truth. How, how real can I get today? It's true. I, I, get, I get angry. And I shouldn't, Stefan, I shouldn't. I shouldn't be, I shouldn't. I should be grateful, like Greg said. Because gratefulness is the key. 100% agree. But the truth is, I'm angry. I'm other things, too. I'm, I'm all of these things. But anger isn't bad. Anger is that thing that that causes us to be passionate towards life. It's been anger that's kept me here every single week 
when the congregation went by 20%, 30%, 50%, 60%, 70%. It was anger that kept me here preaching, believing that there's something worth showing up for, even when the crowd doesn't. So when you look at anger, I don't know if we put that up there or not. The gift of anger is passion. Get angry about child sex trafficking. Get angry. Get, get good and hot about racism. Like really, not just lip service. Get mad about it. Like let's make some real change. Do you know what I mean? Get mad about whatever the thing is out there that just really stirs your passion. That's anger. God bless it. We need some angry, we need some holy angry people. But if we don't hang, handle anger appropriately or correctly, it becomes impaired and leads to pride and depression. Again, clinical depression is a whole other issue. But I'm just talking about the blues, that depression that we will often slip into. Depression happens when we don't recognize we're angry about something. We're stuffing the anger. We're depressing the anger. And as we depress the anger, depression just really flourishes in our, our heart. And so if you're sensing depression at any given point, ask yourself, you, you need to go to the, the sheet here. Oh, I, I feel depressed. What is the core feeling? Anger. What am I angry about? And then journal. Figure out what you're angry about because you can't fix what you don't know. You can't move into a healthy state of anger if you don't know what you're angry about. This is helping me. When I'm depressed, I close off all my desires. That's why it's kind of the opposite of passion. If I'm depressed, the desire to get up is gone. The desire to eat is gone. The desire to take a bath is gone. The desire to go for a walk is gone. The desire to care is gone. When I allow anger to be unhealthy in my life and impaired, I become depressed. Also, not only depression, I become prideful. Pride keeps us from abundant living because it, it rejects our powerlessness. Pride refuses to believe that I live a life that is bigger than myself. A wall of pride around the heart blocks anger because pride says these things. It says, it didn't bother me. I'm tougher than that. You don't get to me. I don't, I don't need anyone. I don't need anything. I can handle this on my own. I can take whatever you dish out. We develop pride when we don't deal with anger appropriately. By the way, this is free for you. It's extra today. You know there are two forms of pride, don't you? We talked about this Sunday night at a table here in the auditorium, the Spirit Connection. As I shared this with them. I want to share it with you because uh, maybe this will help you. Pride doesn't always look like the guy who walks into church thinking he's all that and a bag of chips. Do we still say that? Can we? Can we? Caleb, can we still say that? <laughs> pride, is, pride isn't just walking in thinking you're all that. You're the man with the, the big axe. Axe. <laughs> My God. <laughs> you know, when you think of pride, you think, oh, I don't think I'm all that. I don't think I'm, I'm, one, I'm Mr. Wonderful. I'm Mrs. Wonderful. I'm not prideful. I mean, that, that's the easy way to identify pride. The other side of pride and just as prideful is the person who walks in and hunches down because they don't want anyone to see them. They're just so shy and timid and afraid to be seen. I don't want to disturb anybody. Oh, I'm so sorry. Excuse me. I'm, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so Let me just squeeze through and sit down. How prideful is that, that you walk in a place and you think all eyes are on you? Nobody's looking at you walk in late. They're in worship. They're listening to the sermon. They don't care that you've been to the bathroom four times. Maybe five. Not four. 
So if you find that you are not being the right size in a room, not thinking of yourself too highly, but also not thinking of yourself too lowly, if you're not the right size, you might be dealing with anger. All right, I need to move on because I see that Jordan's trying to kick me off the stage. The next feeling is fear. I'm actually not going to address this because I've talked about it slightly. I've danced around it in other Sundays in this series, so listen to the whole series. When we, um, when we experience the gift of fear, we go to the right, and that is what? Wisdom and faith. The fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom. So fear is all right. It is, it is fear that teaches your kids not to touch a hot stove. It is fear that teaches your dog to not run in the street when the cars are passing by. So fear can be healthy, uh, but fear that is mismanaged, fear that is not surrendered to the Lord, fear that is impaired turns to anxiety. Again, I'm not talking about physiological response of anxiety, just the mental state uh, of anxiety. Let's move on to shame. Shame is a feeling. I got to get through all of these because this literally is my last Sunday in this series. So I'm just going to move quick. Is that all right with you? Can you give me five minutes? Is that all right? I need, I need a consensus from the whole room. Good. Can you give me 10? Just, just kidding. Shame, shame. You know, in the church world, we, we have been anti-shame for quite some time. Guilt and shame off of you. It's like saying guilt and shame is like some kind of curse word in the church. But shame is a core feeling, and shame is what? Good. Can you look at your neighbor and say, shame is good? We got to repro- you got to reprogram some stuff today. Shame is good. Now, what is shame? To, to understand that shame is good, you got to know what shame is. Shame tells me that I'm limited. I have the capacity to make mistakes. I have the capacity to hurt people. I have the capacity to do wrong things. That is shame. Shame tells me that there is a lid to how great I am. We all need a healthy dose of reality. You're beautiful. You're wonderful. You're smart. But you have a limit. And shame tells you where that limit is. Now, um, shame is the emotional and spiritual recognition of the potential that I have to do harm. But not just to do harm, it's also the potential to succeed. Shame gives me a right view of who I am. It helps me to be the right size. So it tells me when I can do something or when I can't do something. In the experience of shame... As I experience my limitations and my potential, as I experience shame in a healthy way, by realizing my gifts and my limitations, you know what that develops in me? Empathy. Healthy shame creates empathy. So if you feel like you have a hard time being empathetic, you need to zero down on shame because you probably have a faulty view of shame. You probably think that shame, all shame, is toxic shame. Now, toxic shame is a a very real thing. Healthy shame says, I have a limit. Toxic shame says, I am bad. You aren't bad for your limitations. That's just how God made you. You have limitations so that you can be in community with someone else and they can help make up where you lack. Shame draws you into relationship. So toxic shame is the impaired version of shame. I, I, love, I love the fact that Jesus, Jesus above anyone was humble. He is the humble servant. In fact, I heard someone say the other day, that uh, he died quietly like a lamb.
when we move forward with shame, the gift of shame, understanding my limitations, is humility. Humility. Who was it in the Bible that said he was the most humble person in all the earth? Was it Moses? Moses wrote in the book, Moses is the most humble person in all of the earth, but Moses wrote it about himself. That's pretty humble. Humility is such a beautiful trait to have, and and it's so rare these days to find true humility in people. Probably because we have been so bombarded with toxic shame, and we're so rejecting of any form of shame that we never actually progress the shame that God has placed inside of us, the limitation inside of us to move forward to humility. So we don't walk in humility, and instead we just end up with toxic shame. Shame. Shame is good. Let me move to the next one. Oh, wait. Let me just add this one tidbit. Um, When shame becomes impaired and we don't, we're not willing to embrace our limitations, we develop into a couple of things. A people pleaser, number one. You become a people pleaser when you're not willing to accept your limitations and be okay with your limitations. You just say yes to everything. You, you do whatever everyone wants. You also become performance driven. Toxic shame tells us that if we show our true self, we're going to be rejected. So if in your life you have experienced a series of rejection, a spirit of rejection, you've been told over and over and over that you're not good enough, you're going to put extra effort, need to put extra effort to be intentional with empathy and humility. Because the shame, the toxic shame that has been piled upon you has distorted your view of humility, all right? Even further than being a people pleaser or performance driven is shamelessness. Anyone know anyone that's shameless? Nobody raises their hand. Anyone know the song, Shameless? Everyone, everyone knows. Yeah. Shamelessness. Shamelessness is whenever, number one, you act as if you're incapable of being at fault, otherwise known as a narcissist. Anyone know a narcissist? Once you know a narcissist, you don't use that term lightly anymore. Once you know, like I hear people, oh, he's a narcissist, she's a narcissist. But once you know a narcissist, no, no. (laughs) If you know that, if you know that, that's a whole new word. What did I even say? Narcissist. I don't know. A narcissist. Oh, that's someone who takes no credit for starting things on fire. A narcissist. That's pretty clever, eh? All right, anyway. I'm losing people and myself, so let me wrap this up. A narcissist... A narcissist denies that they can be at fault. And then you've got the other extreme. They're always at fault. Anyone know any martyrs? Ooh, I love me a good martyr. Oh, man. They drive me nuts. Martyrs. Never, they're always owning everything. It's always my fault. Poor me. I'm like, shut up. It is not always you, and you know that. You're just trying to throw a pity party because you're not willing to deal with your heart right now. Anyway, that's shame. Guilt. I really got to move. Guilt is good. It's that feeling that tells us and lets us know when we've done something wrong. probably should feel a little more guilty than we do. Guilt sparks the wish and the vulnerability for change. So when you snap at someone and you think they deserve it, probably you should let some guilt settle in so that you change.
Guilt prompts us to seek forgiveness and forgiveness sets us free. So as we handle guilt, the gift of guilt, we find freedom and forgiveness. And guilt and shame are so closely tied together that when we don't handle guilt appropriately, we fall into toxic shame and shamelessness, just like with shame. And then the final one, glad. Glad is good. The gift of gladness is to be able to have joy with sadness. The impairment of gladness is sensual pleasure without heart. So I'm going to give you a quick formula because you're probably wondering, this is great, Pastor, but how do I move from the truth of the core feeling to the gift? I, you know, innately, I move backwards to the left. How do I move to the right? How do I move to the right? That formula, write this down. Gift equals W plus P plus W plus T. To move forward in the feeling, in the emotion, and experience the gift of that emotion, it's W plus P plus W plus T. That's willingness plus patience plus work plus time. In willingness, we allow our hearts to risk hope again in spite of past experiences. We're willing to go through it one more time. In patience, we carry the burden of hope by persevering in the waiting. Waiting means anticipation without results and and all the feelings that come with waiting. That's patience. Work. In work, we bring our hearts to what we do with our heads and our hands. Work allows us to be all in versus labor, which is simply surviving. You're not going to find the gift of your emotions unless you're willing to put in the hard work. It is hard work to process pain. It is hard work to forgive someone who has wronged you. It is hard work to move through loss. But you'll never find the gift unless you're willing to work. And then finally, it's time. Time does not heal all wounds. That's a lie. It's a myth. But time with willingness, patience, and work brings relief. In time, we give our hearts to the present, to here and now, to today. And we start taking up space in our life. We start living in 3D. We, we don't... We don't allow hope to keep us immobile. We don't allow the hope deferred to make us paralyzed. We just take up space where we are. We're okay that we're not where we want to be. We're headed there, but we're going to live where we are right now. We're going to use time to the fullest right now. Time is not about the clock ticking by. Time is about you willing to step into this moment right where you are. I don't know if you know this story, and I'll end here because I really am over time and I apologize. But I'm not sorry enough to stop yet because I got to finish this story. Not enough guilt. When we adopted our kids, Addison, Jordan, and Tristan, in 2010, they came with different names. And um, Jordan, over here playing keys, such a good-looking single man. Makes good money. Hardworking, kind, beautiful smile. Single, ready to mingle, am I right? Time for him to move out of daddy's house. Just kidding, just kidding. He mows the yard still, so. Jordan, when he came to us, his name was Jamario. Jamario, 
I, I still like that name. It's pretty cool. And then Tristan, when he came to us, his name was Omarion. And they had the option to change their names when they were adopted. And we left it totally up to them. Tristan wanted to be a G.I. Joe and Power Ranger. He was four. Cut him some slack. He landed with Tristan. I think that's a good name. Jordan wanted to be Juan. That's right. He had a good friend. He, Jordan was seven. He had a good friend named Juan. He wanted to be Juan, too. <laughs> anyway, for the last... That, that, that's funny, Jordan. I'm going to start calling you Juan. For the last 10 years, 12 years, they've been Tristan and Jordan. Before church today, I just wanted to see if, you know, I called them by their old name, what would happen. And they didn't know this was coming. And I pulled up the church. I texted Tristan. I said, hey, bro, meet me outside. He was like, all right. So Tristan comes outside and I was handing him some stuff. And I was like, I need to get a picture of you real quick. And um, it was really a, a video. And I was like, oh, here you go, Marion. And he looks at me like, what? And then I find Jordan on the drums. I'm like, hey, Jamario. And he's like, oh, he's sitting right there actually playing guitar. I said, hey, Jamario. And he's like, anyway, I took a picture of their response when I called them by their old name. Can we show that? (laughs) Jordan's response was, that's not me. Tristan's response was, I don't like that. (laughs) Some of you trying to feed your new tree with old roots. And God has given you a new name. My question to you this morning what point are you going to get tired of doing the same things over and over and over and just calling it life? God has given you the gifts and the tools and the ability to become brand new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Will you please stand to your feet? I'm willing to bet this morning that that old name you've been carrying around is nothing more than a root that needs to be cut. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you today. God, I thank you. God, I thank you that you've given us a new name. You've given us a hope and a future. God, I thank you that of all the mysteries of heaven, the heart is not one. It's not a mystery. It's not an enigma. It is not something that we just have. We're just led around by our heart. No, we can understand it. We can perceive it. We can sit with you a while as you discover our heart, our inward parts. You formed us. You created us. You knitted us in our mother's womb. And you invite us to the table to discover who we really are, who we were really created to be. God, go with us this week as we have new awareness of our emotions, our feelings. God, help us to get to the core of how we feel. In Jesus' name, I pray. Let the church say amen. Amen. I've got to leave you with a game, one game. I want you to put that little sheet thing on your refrigerator. And every day this week, I want you to call the family together and say, how do you feel? How's your heart? And they have to use one of the eight words. And only one of the eight is going to create tremendous conversation. I want to invite you to Wednesday Awaken and next Sunday at 1030. And don't forget, make plans for Easter. We love you guys so much. Now that you've been to church, go be the church.